the big mistake people make is actually spending too much time in bed when they're not sleeping because it's uh, again we're, we're anchoring arousal hyper arousal physical arousal to the bed and bedroom and that's the opposite of what we want to be doing we want to be anchoring rest and relaxation to the bed and bedroom if you struggle with sleep then this is the episode for you today i have devin burke on the show he is a TED Talk speaker, best-selling author of The Sleep Advantage, the founder of Sleep Science Academy, and one of the top health and sleep coaches in the world. Devin helps thousands of people to improve their sleep, energy, and life. And he's here today to do the same for you. You're listening to The Digest this episode, and I'm your host, Bethany Cameron. Let's get into it. But before this interview, shout out to podcast listener Original Say Say. They titled their review, You Had Me at Cholesterol. They wrote, thank you both for an informative podcast. I've followed Bethany for years on Instagram. This is the first podcast I've listened to. Pretty sure I'm hooked. That review was referring to episode 48 on why we need cholesterol with Dr. Johnny Bowden. So if you haven't listened to that particular one, episode 48, why we need cholesterol, highly recommend everyone listens to that. And without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Hey guys, I actually need to tell you that if you're not subscribed to my newsletters, They come out every Friday and they're called Friday Finds. This is information that only my subscribers get in their inbox. I share new food finds I don't share on Instagram. Food news, food trends, and products that aren't even on the market yet. But I've got the scoop. I also share special discounts and other recipes throughout the week. Again, only to my newsletter subscribers. This is not published anywhere else and cannot be found on my blog. I do not and never have shared any of your information. This is just another way to stay connected. So be sure you're in the know and subscribe to my weekly newsletters by going to littlesipper.com slash subscribe and enter your email. That's it. So pause this episode and go to L-I-L-S-I-P-P-E-R dot com slash subscribe. Many of you listening are probably already aware that I co-created the Digestive Support Protein Powder by NewZest back in 2018, and it's been their top three seller ever since. Why? Because it actually works and benefits the digestive system. Countless of my Instagram followers have told me they can't go a day without it, and myself included. Unlike other vegan protein powders, mine is made without stevia, fake sweeteners, gums, or natural flavorings, which are commonly found in not only protein powders, but in so-called gut support products. And let me tell you, these additives can really wreak havoc on our digestive system. Plus, I also included a specific probiotic scientifically proven to fight off candida and support the gut within the powders. So you're not only getting clean protein powder, but also things that actually support the gut, as well as L-glutamine, which helps restore the gut lining. 
My digestive support protein is vegan, paleo, and keto-friendly, as well as suitable for those on a candida or diabetic diet. It is also glyphosate-free and contains no gluten, grains, or lectins. And if you want to grab a tub and start your journey to a healthier and happier gut and ultimately happier life, go to newzest.us slash digest for a discount and experience what countless others have and live without the digestive discomfort. Again, go to N-U-Z-E-S-T dot U-S slash digest. Devin, you are the guru of sleep. So many people are struggling with sleep. And I feel like if you don't struggle with it now, you have or will struggle with it in the future. I have so many questions. First of all, a lot of people are also struggling with stress. Stress is inevitable. Everyone's going to experience it. So I want to know what is the stress sleep cycle? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, honestly, so that's the number one reason why people struggle with sleep is stress. And it's because stress and sleep are bi-directionally linked, meaning the more stress you experience, the less rest you experience. And the less rest you experience, the more stress you experience. So it's a cyclical cycle that happens where people find themselves on this sort of wheel of, you know, they're not sleeping, so their body's more stressed. Their body's more stressed, so they're not sleeping, and they have a hard time getting off of it. And so it's, um, and it sleep's one of those things that the harder you try to force or control or the harder you try to make it happen, the worse it gets. So it can be extremely frustrating for people that are in this sort of paradox where their their bodies are stressed, so they're not sleeping. And because they're not sleeping, their bodies are more stressed. Yeah. And I know too, a lot of people can be stressed because they know they're not sleeping. They're more even aware of that. Yeah. People become obsessed with uh, with sleep when they're not getting it. And we see that all the time at Sleep Science Academy. People literally, it's almost like a starving person that's looking for food. People become that obsessed with it. And unfortunately, that obsession, the more you focus on it, and again, the more you try to force it or control it or make it happen, oftentimes that's the very thing that keeps people from sleeping. So it becomes really, there's a lot of paradox and a lot of counterintuitive things that people need to understand in order to solve their sleep when they're when they're not getting enough of it. Yeah, well, I went through a period in my life which was a little over a year ago, so not that long ago where I was getting literally like 2 hours of night of just sleep and I would lay in bed and I would try and fall asleep because it's, you know, 10 p.m. I'm like, all right, I got to go to sleep and the more I tried and just laid there, the, the worse it got. And it started to get better once I was like, it's 10 p.m., 11 p.m. I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm not go- going to sleep. Uh, let's just get up, even watch a movie, read, do something. And would you recommend that? Because I feel like if if people are just laying there, literally not sleeping, is it better for them to get up and do something? Yes. And that's actually a technique called stimulus control because you don't want to anchor your bed and your bedroom with stress and anxiety 
and wakefulness. So if you're not able to fall asleep within 20 minutes, or if you wake up in the middle of the night and you're laying in your bed, tossing and turning for longer than 20 minutes, you don't want to look at the clocks to kind of just feel it out. Remove yourself from the bed and bedroom and go do something, preferably that doesn't involve technology, something that's relaxing, something that can get you back into your parasympathetic. And then you just kind of hang out and wait for the the next sleep bus to come. And when that sleepiness starts to come on you, then you just get back into your bedroom and, and just allow sleep to happen. That's a big mistake people make is actually spending too much time in bed when they're not sleeping. Because it's, uh, again, we're, we're anchoring arousal, hyper arousal, physical arousal um, to the bed and bedroom. And that's the opposite of what we want to be doing. We want to be anchoring rest and relaxation to the bed and bedroom. Yeah. So what are some tips for those that can't fall asleep at the very beginning? Yeah. I mean, so we call it onset, uh, onset insomnia or people that have issues initiating sleep. A great night of sleep starts as soon as you wake up. So literally everything you do throughout your day is going to impact how well you sleep at night. And what I find is that most people that have issues with their sleep, falling asleep specifically, they're kind of taking their days and they're bringing it right into their nights. So what that means is there's no really transition from their day and their night. They're, you know, they're working late at night. So their mind's busy. They're, you know, doing a million things. They're having challenging conversations at night when these conversations really are better suited for the afternoon or the morning. Um, And there's no real clear transition from day to like night. And when I say day to night, I mean like your day to actually resting and relaxing and and allowing that body to do what it knows how to do. So really some simple techniques and things that people can start to do is don't have your schedule be back-to-back. This makes a huge difference because it builds up. Even if you're back-to-back with things that you love to do and you're taking care of a lot of things and you're, you know, whatever it is. It builds a tension and a pressure in the body that needs to be released. And if that tension and pressure is not released throughout the day, it becomes like a pressure cooker where you have to release so much of that tension and pressure um, in order for the body to get into the parasympathetic to then be able to fall asleep. So if you can release that pressure throughout the day by taking breaks, by hydrating, by getting outside, by doing things that um, really resting, like active rest, that's going to allow that pressure to be released. So there's not so much pressure to be released at the end of the day. And most people that have challenged falling asleep, they have racing mind. It's they're thinking about all the things that they need to do that they should have done that. And that's what keeps them up. And the antidote to that is to be able to create the space for your mind to start to, you know, settle essentially from all the day's activities. And that takes generally about two hours for the average person for that to happen. And so many people now are working from home and it's hard to switch from, okay, I'm not working to home life because they're always home working. And it's so easy to just nine o'clock at night, check emails or what, you know, do whatever. And so that's a great tip to, to stop work two hours before you get before bed, but hopefully, you know, a lot uh, earlier than that if you are working from home. Um, but what you said too is it you should be taking breaks. So the benefit of working from home also is that you do have that flexibility to take a walk, take a, a little 10-minute break, and then continue with your workday. Um, but what about those that don't work from home? They're, they're doing an eight-hour shift every single day. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it it can be challenging, and so you have to carve out you have to carve out space and time. So it, it doesn't have to be a lot of time and a lot of space. Even just five minutes between a transition between a meeting or f- between a task can be enough. Um, and depending on you know your your situation, you might have to have a conversation with your your manager or whoever you just have a conversation with around. Hey, this is what I'm doing in order f- to to be able to. Ha- you know, have mental health and to continue to work here. Um, so sometimes it does take conversations, especially in a lot of these companies that have what's called hustle culture, where it's just like work all the time, grind, grind, like, you know, you don't stop, like get here early, leave late. It can be very challenging um, conversation to have. But at at the end of the day, you have to take responsibility for, you know, your own environments and your choices. and so. Long story short, you can create the space through communication, and that can take a little bit of creativity as well. Um, so, you know, everyone's situation is a little bit different, but it, it it can be more challenging for people in those in kind of corporate settings. Yeah, and and hopefully, a lot of bosses and people higher up are do realize that when someone is restful and and at peace and less stress, they actually are more productive at their job. So if you want your employees to be very productive, you know, you also have to uh, take that into consideration. Um, So those were great tips for people that have a hard time uh, getting to sleep at the beginning. But what about those that maybe they fall asleep fast and then they wake up and they can't stay asleep? Yeah. So this is called maintenance insomnia. Um, and so for people that struggle to stay asleep, you know, the, the advice that we, we were talking about earlier is really important. So the stimulus control, making sure that you're not staying in bed, tossing and turning, removing yourself from the bedroom. I always tell our clients have a place and a plan. So a place that you'll go and a plan that you'll do if and when you do wake up in the middle of the night. Um, and the place should be some place in your home that's comforting, but not so comforting that you actually fall asleep. So you don't want to be, you know, training your body to wake up and then fall asleep on the couch or fall asleep, you know, in a chair, but be in a place that is comfortable, that has low light and then do something, have a plan. A plan could be reading a book, not a stimulating book, a book that is relaxing, um, maybe a spiritual book or maybe a book of poems or something like that. Um, you could do a puzzle. You could do anything that doesn't involve technology and light or anything that is going to hyperstimulate you. Some people knit, some people draw, some people stretch, some people meditate, some people pray. So it really depends. It's up to you to kind of create that plan for yourself. Um, but having a place and a plan and practicing stimulus control, honestly, is is all you need to do. And understanding that you're not doing those things, you're not executing the plan so that you go back to sleep because that's a form of control with an expectation. You're just doing them to do them until sleepiness comes and then you just get back in bed. So a lot of people sometimes fall in a habit of, you know, you hear like sleep hygiene, like, oh, you got to have a bedtime routine and cold, dark room and all these things. And yes, they support quality of sleep, but you don't need to do any of that. It's your body knows how to sleep and believing that you need to do anything in order to for sleep to happen is actually a false belief. And it's a dangerous one because then people's, feel like they get obsessed with, you know, I need to take this supplement and I need to wear my blue light blocking glasses. Okay. Supplements help blue blocking glasses all for it. But, um, you know, you don't really need any of that stuff in order for sleep to happen. 
Well, and for someone that is not tired, say it's whatever, it's that person's bedtime quote, but they're not tired. Would you recommend that they not go to sleep if they're not tired? I would. Yeah. Because if you're not tired, I mean, so there's something called wired and tired. So there's where people there, their kind of body feels tired, but they're wired. And that's actually a physiological stress response. Um, And so if you're wired and tired, there's, you know, you, you definitely want to look at how you're managing stress and the amount of stress that you have in your life. Um, But if you're just simply, you're not wired to be, you're not tired, then, then yeah, do something relaxing. Again, you want to really try to avoid technology because it just hyper arouses us. If you're like looking at social media and you're like doing emails and you're, you know, doing all this stuff, even watching TV, some TV is, is, can be helpful, like comedy and like light kind of TV shows that are sort of positive. But a lot of times people are watching these crazy shows that are like end of the world stuff or the news. And that's just the last thing that you want to be doing. Um, It's just not going to be useful or helpful to uh, to a conducive relaxed body and mind yeah well sometimes i'll admit i'll put on like a disney cartoon and it'll just i'll put, shut my eyes and for whatever reason that like noise in the background you know um can help or or being on the couch instead of the bed sometimes just being in a different environment but i love your tips about knitting and doing something that's really not electronic based maybe even rearrange your sock drawer i don't know <laughs> you know do something like that yeah i mean the the trick is too if you find yourself getting frustrated um about being up and and you know getting upset you know allow yourself to have those emotions and and also you know we do a lot of psychological work in the academy to help people understand the psychology around sleep and what you know oftentimes we have all these we call them negative sleep thoughts where it's like you start to dread, well, I'm not going to have energy the next day if I don't get to sleep and, you know, I'm going to look tired and, and what if this continues to happen? And so like all these thoughts actually are the very things that keep people up. So learning strategies to deal with those thoughts, whether it's to reframe them or do some inquiry on them or just watch them come and watch them go are all very, very helpful practices for people to understand how to get out of the way of their body because the body knows how to sleep. And it's oftentimes what we do or don't do that gets in the way of the body doing what it knows how to do. Now, let's talk about your food consumption during the day. Does that play an effect as also a lot of, if someone's eating a lot of sugar, drinking caffeine, having alcohol, what do those particular substances do for sleep as well as does time that you eat affect your sleep? Yeah. So we can kind of go through each of those specific items that you just mentioned, and then we can talk about the time separately because each are important to talk about. So the first and foremost that, you know, caffeine from coffee or other drinks that contain caffeine. Caffeine, unfortunately, blocks this chemical in our body called adenosine. And adenosine is what builds up and creates what's called sleep pressure. So having caffeine too late in the day is is not really conducive for quality sleep. And there's people that will say, well, I'm Italian and I have an espresso after dinner. And it's like, well, if, if you look, if you were measuring your sleep, you would see that you're actually not getting into the deeper stages of sleep because the caffeine actually sort of blocks the, the receptor site for that adenosine to build up. And then you'll carry that over into the next day and have 
what's called sleep debt. So caffeine, you know, a little bit of caffeine in the morning is, is fine. The half-life of caffeine, depending on how fast you metabolize it, is about, you know, depending on who you ask, four to six hours. Um, so it's in your body for, you know, eight to, to 12 hours potentially before it's getting completely cleared out. So that's sort of the caffeine is not your friend when it comes to sleep. Um, caffeine timing, you can get away with it, especially if you're a fast metabolizer of caffeine. But it's um, if you want to improve your sleep, you definitely want to cut back on caffeine. Mm-hmm. No, I'm, I, I love my, my coffee every morning, but it's just one cup and I'm definitely a fast metabolizer. So by, you know, noon, I don't even feel it anymore. Uh, my husband is a slow metabolizer. If he has half a cup of coffee in the morning, he's wired until like 5 PM, you know? So it just depends on, on the person for sure. It does. And it's in the dose and the quality is really important. And there's some little tricks that you can use um, to help buffer, you know, the sort of the effects of caffeine, like supplementing with L-theanine, the amino acid L-theanine sort of helps, or even putting in certain mushrooms like uh, reishi or chaga or cordyceps kind of can help sort of the adrenal glands not get so shocked because um, coffee is, is also going to increase your adrenaline and it's also going to increase your cortisol. And so if you can buffer those things by putting in, you know, superfoods or using amino acids to sort of support that, sort of counterbalance that, it can be really helpful. Yeah. And matcha too. I mean, matcha is pretty high in caffeine. However, it does have L-theanine like you mentioned. So maybe that's a good switch for some people. It is. I actually had a cup of matcha um, this morning and it's, uh, yeah, it definitely helps sort of sustain the level focus without getting like jittery because I'm very sensitive to caffeine. Um, and that m- makes a big difference. Um, so you can either supplement with it or you can just drink matcha, which naturally has it in it. So, yeah, so moving on from, from you know, caffeine and, and coffee and energy drinks into, let's say, alcohol. So we just talked about an upper. Let's talk about a downer. Um, Unfortunately, alcohol disturbs REM sleep. And that's, you know, that's a deeper stage of sleep when we're dreaming and we're remembering our dreams and sort of working out the emotional sort of traumas of the day and, you know, short-term memories getting shuttled to long-term storage, very important stage of sleep. Alcohol, unfortunately, gets in the way of that stage. Um, It's a diuretic, so it dehydrates you and we lose a liter of water through respiration and sweat throughout the night. So you really don't want to be drinking alcohol too close to bedtime. Now, a glass of wine at dinner Fine, especially if it's a clean wine, if it doesn't have a lot of sulfites in it, if it doesn't have a lot of, you know, pesticides and things in it, and it's you know, lower in alcohol, that would be the ideal beverage, that or tequila, <laughs> um, which is also, you know, it's it's easier on the body to digest, especially again, and, and the quality matters here. So if the quality of your coffee, the quality of the alcohol you consume, if you're going to consume these things, make sure you're getting the cleanest coffee and the highest quality alcohol that you can, you can afford. Agreed. Um, Yeah. So, so in moderation too, it really, it can, it can become a lot of times people use alcohol to manage their stress. And in some instances that can be okay and healthy and and normal. And then all, then sometimes people become alcoholics. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of other ways of managing stress and you know your nervous system than using alcohol. So for those of people listening to this that feel like they need to have a half of a bottle of wine in order to unwind, then I would really challenge you to look at that and look at well, you know, what are some healthier ways of getting back into that rested state that don't involve something that is potentially damaging to your sleep. 
multiple studies point to a link between dehydration and a higher risk of anxiety and depression. And if you have low levels of electrolytes, it can cause anxiety or panic-like symptoms. Some of the most common causes of electrolyte imbalance are due to fluid loss. Adding electrolytes is a great way to replenish and rebalance your body, mind, and mood. However, most electrolyte drink mixes contain added gums, sugars, colors, and even added oils. I'm really picky about what goes into my body. So that's why I choose Elements Raw Unflavored Electrolyte Mix. Elements Unflavored Version contains a science-backed electrolyte ratio of salt, magnesium, and potassium. Those three simple ingredients are in their raw unflavored packs. So whether you just finished a workout, sauna session, or just need to hydrate for your mental health. Element is formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs and is perfectly suited for those following a keto, low-carb, vegan, or paleo diet. And right now, Element is offering my listeners a free sample pack with any purchase. That's eight single-serving packets free with any Element order. Element also has a no questions asked refund policy. So if you try it, don't like it, they will give you your money back guaranteed, no questions asked. So you have nothing to lose. Just go to drinklmnt.com slash digest to get this amazing offer. What are three natural ways to do some stress management uh, aside from alcohol, obviously? Yeah, the easiest one and the one that we teach a lot of different breath techniques at Sleep Science Academy, um, but that's the easiest way to get back into your parasympathetic nervous system is just learning, first and foremost, the most basic breath technique is learning how to diaphragmatic breathe. Most people breathe from their chest. And if you can look at a baby in a crib, for those of you that have babies, just look at your baby when it's he or she is sleeping you'll see that they breathe from their belly. And that is a, when you're breathing from your belly, you're actually, you're activating the parasympathetic nervous system, the rest and digest nervous system response. When you're breathing from your chest, and if you look at most adults, most adults don't breathe correctly. They breathe from their chest. They've forgotten how to breathe from their diaphragm. Um, so we always, first and foremost, train people to breathe back into their diaphragm. And just that alone, can help people get out of a stress state and into a rest state. And there's a lot of different techniques like four, seven, eight breath technique. Uh, we call it bed breathing. Navy feels called box breathing. So there's all different types of styles of breathing once you have the basics down. But breathing, I mean, if you think about it, we last like maybe a couple minutes without air, without breathing. It's that it's so important to learn how to breathe correctly. So that's sort of foundational. Um, Building on that, then we really like to look at the psychology of what creates stress in the first place, meaning how are you thinking? What are you believing? Because our thoughts and our beliefs, even though we can't see them, make a huge difference on our nervous system and how we feel about ourselves and about the world around us. So understanding that first and foremost, you're not your thoughts, you have thoughts and being able to have that experience either through meditation or through you know some other techniques that you can explore um, is very helpful because most people think that they're the thoughts they're constantly thinking. And, you know, when you can have the experience that you're not your thoughts and you can sort of witness your thoughts either through meditation or through, again, some other types of modalities, it's very helpful 
because then you can separate, there's some separation between a thought and me. And so understanding that and sort of practicing that throughout the day is extremely beneficial because then you can start to different, you know, tell the difference between what's reality and a fact and what's your thoughts about the reality. And when you can do that, that becomes a very powerful thing. And I can give you an example. So somebody, you're driving down the road and somebody cuts you off, right? That's a fact that happened. And then you tell yourself in your mind, well, this person's an a-hole. They're trying to kill me. That's a story, right? Those are thoughts in your mind that are stories. So if you believe that, you're probably going to get upset at this person. Maybe you're, you know, road rage or you're, or you could tell yourself a different story that maybe this person was in a rush. They didn't see you. You can bless them, have, have a safe rest of your drive. Your experience is totally different. So understanding how to differ, you know, understanding that we're meaning makers and understanding the difference between facts and stories is extremely powerful when it comes to nervous system response. Um, and then, so, so the third, yes, for three. So the, the one other way I think is really creating environments that are conducive to rest and relaxation. So what that means is, you know, making the environments that you have control over calming environments from the colors on the walls to how the space looks, our environments impact us more than most people realize. On a subconscious level, you're picking up everything in your environment. So if you're in environments um, that are chaotic, that are noisy, that are dirty, that are, um, you know, just the energy just feels off, that's going to impact you. So obviously you don't have control over all the environments that you're in, but you do have control of a lot of the environments that you're in, especially your home environment. So making your home, you know, a sanctuary that you can come home into your home and feel that it's a peaceful place um, is really powerful um, for, for managing a healthy nervous system response. Yeah, and those are all really great tips, stress management. Um, so definitely try those instead of <laughs> reverting to alcohol and and see how that goes for sure. Now, what about, that was the, the third consumption was sugar. And I just want to ask, what's your view on that and how does that affect sleep? Yeah, it negatively also affects sleep. Sugar is, is really sleep's nemesis because, you know, during the night, there's a lot of hormones that are being released. Insulin is one of them. And so the play of insulin, um, it actually, you can wake up if you're insulin, if you're, you know, you have high insulin and you're pre-diabetic because you're consuming too much sugar that could actually pull you out of sleep, um, to urinate as well as just your blood sugar being all over the place, whether you're going hypo or hyper. Um, so sugar is not our friend. It's inflammatory. It's, it's, definitely something that you want to limit your consumption of. It's highly addictive. I mean, they've done studies that show that it's more addictive than cocaine, which is insane. And it's in everything. And I'll be honest, I'm a little bit of a sugar head. Um, I've come a long way, but you know, you get a little taste of that cookie and all of a sudden, like, I'm like wanting to eat the whole box. Mm -hmm. I still have that. So I have to like, just not bring it in the house. But yeah, it's not, it's not conducive to a good night's sleep. Absolutely not. And regarding the timing, you really, you don't want to be eating, you want there to be at least a three to four hour window between what crosses your mouth and you're actually going to bed. Because during that first cycle of sleep, which lasts about 90 minutes, your first really two cycles, you're getting into the deeper stages of what's called delta sleep. And that's when your body is is really physically recovering itself. You, you You're really, I mean, there's so much that happens during that stage of sleep. You don't want to be having your body 
divert energy to digesting food when it should be diverting the energy to be digesting cancerous cells or, you know, releasing growth hormone or, you know, or doing all the physical repair that happens throughout the night. So if you can create a buffer between, you know, your mealtime and your bedtime, it'll definitely make a huge difference on the quality and depth of your sleep. Yeah, those are it's great advice. Also, too, when you eat earlier, not right before bed, it helps your digestion as well. It like helps actually your your gut feeling. I know if you go to bed and you lay down, even in the daytime, if you lay down, you're like, oh, I shouldn't have laid down. Now I feel that food like stuck here in my in my stomach. I don't know if you've ever felt that. Yeah, it's not it's not optimal. I mean, and there there are a lot of people, and I guarantee there's going to be people that listen to this that are like, "Well, I have to have a snack before bed," and I always challenge people to say, "Well, you trained your body to want a snack before bed, so yes, you can retrain your body to not have a snack before bed." Um, and if you really want to optimize your sleep, that would be something that I would highly recommend that you practice. Um, it can be challenging and, you know, especially if you're used to having a bowl of ice cream after dinner or right before you go to sleep mm-hmm. or whatever it is. But again, you know, you just make small changes and it's not something that you have to do every night, but if you do it consistently where you're, you're not having late meals, you're not having, you know, whatever you have right before bed, it'll make a difference over the, over the lifetime of your, um, you know, your, your, your life. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, I've actually heard there's, there are some studies that if you take just like a teaspoon of raw honey right before bed, that can actually help induce your sleep because of the simple sugars and the carbs uh, can make you a little sleepy and honey is a pre-digested food. So it takes less energy to actually digest that. Have you? Yeah, I mean, I think it really depends on the person. You know, it depends on your how you know your metabolism. It depends on your blood sugar level. You, you know, your how active you are. There's what your lifestyle is. So there's it's really hard to kind of give blanket sort of statements for sometimes things like this. I think it can be helpful for some certain people. I've heard uh, people putting honey with like a little apple cider vinegar and sort of drinking it as like a tea. Um, But at the end of the day, it's kind of with all of the things, it's really up to you to try them on and experiment with them and just see, well, did that make a difference? Did I, was I able to fall asleep faster? Did I rest deeper? And if you're not measuring your sleep, you know, that's very subjective. I encourage people to measure their sleep if they want to improve it. Um, But I think that that does work for certain people. Okay. Now you, you mentioned something and I caught it and you said uh, cancer cells. And fighting off or fighting off those cancer cells. Do we all have cancer cells in us? Yeah, we do. So, you know, unfortunately, that's just uh, we live in a world, uh, a toxic world. I mean, we're, we're, you know, our bodies are constantly producing cells and sometimes those cells are abnormal and the body has an intelligence that it will clean those cells out. You know, it's called autophagy. Right. And so you can you can autophagy can take place through through fasting, which is a great practice. Um, you know, it's something I highly recommend people explore and experiment with. Um, but also, you know, it can happen during the night when your body is, is in these deeper stages of sleep. Um, yeah, you're, you're cleaning out the damaged cells from the air we breathe and the food we eat and the water we drink. And mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if you're eating all organic and you live on a mountainside or whatever, it's still, you're being exposed to radiation and EMFs and all these sort of weird things that, you know, technology has created or we have created. So, 
So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely something that you want to be mindful of, uh, as you're, you know, so better sleep can help actually kill off cancer cells. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can think of it like that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, you could think of it like that. I mean, so our immune system is most active during the night. And so your the whole purpose of your immune system is essentially to keep you alive, is to fight foreign invaders, to sort of remove the damaged free radicals in your body. And so during the night, your immune system is most active. That's why I don't know if you've had this experience. I've had it uh, on the on the nights where or the several nights, if you've had a row of not sleeping, you end up getting sick. You end up getting sick. And it's because it makes that big of a difference on your immune system. Um, so you know, that, which is one of the reasons why it's so important to really prioritize and protect and solve your sleep if you have issues with it, is to build that immune system back up so that your body can fight the free radicals. Um, and also, I mean, it literally sleep deprivation is linked to every major disease, not to scare people here, but, you know, Alzheimer's, dementia, heart disease, diabetes, car crashes, you name it. Um, it's it, the chances of you dying from any of what I just mentioned is increased when you're consistently not getting the right amount of sleep that your body needs. Yeah. Now, how can sleep uh, promote weight loss for those on a weight loss journey? Because I know you wanted to really talk about that and I'm very curious as well. Yeah. So sleep and weight loss, it's it's a really interesting topic and, it, and it, we can talk about it from two two angles, the psychological angle and the physiological one. So psychologically, when we're underslept, we don't have the willpower to make good choices and decisions. Um, so you're going for the burger over the salad or you, because your body actually craves more sugar and fat when you're underslept. And there's two hormones called ghrelin and leptin. They're the hunger signaling hormone and the hormone that signals that you're full. Those also get disrupted when you're underslept. So meaning they get disrupted, meaning that you, you're eating more and you're not feeling full. So you're craving sugar and fat like crazy. Your willpower is less and you're eating more and your body's not telling you that you're full. That's a recipe for waking. On top of that, cortisol is increased. And cortisol is the stress hormone. It's also a fat storing hormone. And that's also increased and elevated throughout the day. So not only do you have less willpower to make good decisions, but you're craving all the wrong foods. You're eating more of those foods because your body's not telling you that you're full. And then your body on top of that is in a state of stress. So it's going to store those calories as fat because it thinks it needs to for survival. So that's a recipe for waking. That's just like a vicious cycle. And you had mentioned, you know, it does affect our hormones, the cortisol, but um, I can only imagine it affects all of our hormones. That's correct. So we, we kind of touched on sugar and insulin, what also affects insulin. So you're more insulin sensitive, meaning even after one night of, you know, poor sleep, your insulin sensitivity is, is increased. And, you know, it, it, so, so you're, that's one of the reasons why, you know, it's, it just throws off your, your, your total system, right? Your, your, and I've had this experience, like on the nights where I don't sleep well, I'm hungrier the next day and I crave sugar because your body's looking for that energy. Um, testosterone is also, you know, during the night, our bodies release testosterone. It's a really important hormone for, for energy. And it, it's, it's something that gets thrown off estrogen. 
progesterone, all these different sort of hormones that interplay within um, the systems of our body, they get thrown off. So it, mm-hmm. it can create a lot of um, challenges for people that are looking to lose weight if they're not sleeping. Yeah. Well, what advice can you give for a new mama? Because we all know they're up you know, all night long feeding and all those um, different feeding times. So any advice you can give for a mama that really can't get away from from obviously her her baby, which is such a blessing, but what she needs some sleep too. Yeah, the advice would be to to really just accept that that is a time in life where you're not going to get great sleep, and accept that and trust that your body has an intelligence that it will when your baby is sleeping well that you you will eventually sleep well, and that's by design, right? So so I it's really a challenging time in life. There's two of the most challenging times in life for people in their sleep. It's newborns, young moms and dads, and it's also for women, menopause. So, you know, because of the hormones, you know, it just really 60% of women experience insomnia during menopause. Um, And those are two times that you, the best advice I can give you is just accept that your sleep is probably going to be a little bit off and just know that it'll eventually come back and it'll find the balance and do your best to, you know, prioritize extra health protocols to counterbalance the negative effects of the sleep being thrown off, meaning eat a little bit healthier, you know, make more space for rest and restoration during the day. Um, Maybe up your, your, your supplements, right? So like counterbalance, you can counterbalance those challenging sleep times by you know, practicing healthier habits um, and just and just trust that eventually your sleep will will come back. Yeah. And I've heard that when your baby's sleeping, that's when you should be sleeping. So take advantage of when they're sleeping and, you know, try and, and get a little shut eye as well. And obviously, you know, every person's situation is different. That's not always optimal, but, um, you know, Try it all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the thing that you can, I, I am, I don't do this or we don't do this at Sleep Science Academy, but there are baby sleep coaches. So create healthy sleep habits for your baby so that you can get the sleep that you need. That's really good advice. Um, and it's it's because it's like, if your baby's not sleeping, of course you're not gonna be sleeping. But if your baby's sleeping, then you have the time to to, to also sleep. Um, so, so definitely look into, there's a lot of different sort of philosophies and methodologies around babies. You know, should the babies sleep in the bed? You know, should you let them cry it out? There's all these different sort of theories and methods. Um, find one that you think works, will work, or you feel comfortable with. And whether that's a course or a program or hiring a coach or a consultant to help you execute on that, but it will save you a lot of um, time, energy, and, and uh, headaches mm-hmm. by just having a plan to help your baby get a sleep, a healthy sleep rhythm early on in life. Yeah. And I, I like to argue too, that the baby's diet certainly plays a role, even when they're, you know, one, two years old, it definitely plays a role in their own sleep patterns. And if they're getting the right and proper nutrition, I feel like they can obviously optimize their health and they're already set up for success. Um, even in, in the toddler stage. Yeah. I mean, nutrition is, is is massively connected to to sleep. I mean, what's good for your health is good for your sleep, right? So 
if you're eating the right foods and your body's in balance and your mind's in balance, you're, you're not going to have sleep issues. You know, people that have issues with their sleep and it's just a result. It's not really the problem. It's just the result. It's, it's a result of something being out of balance in either how you're thinking or physiologically or both. And so, you know, speaking of babies, treat yourself like a baby. Like, you know, read a bedtime story to yourself, take a nice hot bath, like, you know, tuck yourself in, you know, th that would help improve your sleep. You know, what you do for, to put your kids to bed, if you did that for yourself, your sleep would improve. Yeah. Now, um, I've heard that it's actually uh, negative to work out at night. Yeah, I think it depends. <laughs> it depends on um, what type of workout you're doing and how hard or intense it is. And it also depends on a lot of other factors. But, I, you know, a blanket statement, I would say, yes, you know, you don't want to work out too close to bed because it's going to heat the body up and the body temperature needs to start to drop towards the end of the day. And, you know, exercise is a great stress reliever. So, you know, maybe if you go for like an evening walk after dinner or something like that, that actually would be great. It would help you digest. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's a nice being outside and getting fresh air. Um, but if you go and run like a half marathon, you know, at six o'clock or seven o'clock or, or eight o'clock or whatever, you know, it might be hard for you to sleep because depending on, again, your unique biochemistry could take a little bit for your body to cool itself off. Yeah. And your adrenaline's up too. So yeah, your adrenaline's like up, your, you know, your act, you know, so but I think it really depends on the type of exercise because you know, if you did like a Raja yoga session, for instance, where you're in, you're really holding these poses and you're releasing mm -hmm. tension in your body and it's not intense, you know, that that's, that's great. That's yeah. going to help you sleep. Right. So it depends on the type of exercise. And I think a lot of people, you know, that talk about sleep and exercise, they kind of leave this part out where they're, they're not, what, what type of exercise are we speaking about? Um, because certain types of movement, I think are, can, can be very conducive towards the end of the day. Uh, it just depends. Right. And yoga is, is great. I'm, uh, for those that don't know, I'm a certified yoga teacher. And so what they taught us when you had mentioned belly breathing, we do that in yoga and we try and teach people, Hey, belly breathe, you know? And so perhaps yoga would be a good option, um, to, to relieve some stress at the end of the day. Again, I feel like it's all individualized. Um, now what about, anxiety, that whole anxiety, can't sleep cycle, almost similar to what we talked about in the beginning of the stress sleep cycle. Because when people can't sleep, I feel like their anxiety goes up. And I'm talking like severe anxiety here where they may get trembles, they may feel like out of their body experience. Yeah, we get a lot of those clients at Sleep Science Academy where they, they have extreme anxiety. Um, in that as the very thing that's keeping them awake or they wake up and with panic attacks, like full on, like feel like they need to go to the hospital and all that. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, a lot of this, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of, again, it's hard to, to make blanket statements here, but understanding what's creating the anxiety and often, you know, understanding the things that you actually have control over versus what you don't have control over. There's a lot of techniques um, that I could share around that, but I think it's first and foremost, I always recommend if you are one of these types of people, get support. Don't try to do it by yourself. 
um, because it's it's really challenging when you know you're 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 stuck in that place. And I actually, when I was a kid, I used to get um, panic attacks. So I know how that feels, like where you're you literally feel like you're dying. It's like a horrible feeling. You're sweating, and it's just like it's the worst. Yeah. Um, and that's just you know anxiety really is fear of the future. And so understanding how to bring yourself back to the present and actually, you know, connect to what's here now and emotionally sort of regulate and allow those emotions to be there, not making them wrong, not pushing them away. Um, you know, all there's a lot of different psychology around anxiety that people were never taught. I was never taught and I had to learn. Um but if you have heightened level of anxiety, definitely find somebody that can support you on that. I mean, that's, I'll, I'll leave it at that because it's, sure. it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a process. And there's a lot of understanding, I think that needs to happen in order to move from a place of high anxiety to a place of, you know, natural state of joy and rest and mm-hmm. relaxation. Yeah. Now, do you believe in alarm clocks or relying on your circadian rhythm? I believe in relying on your circadian rhythm because it's natural. Alarm clocks are not really natural. So if, you know, again, depending on your job, your situation, if you, I don't wake up with an alarm. I haven't woken up with an alarm for years. Um, I just wake up when my body naturally wakes up. I have a luxury of doing that. And I created a life where that's possible. Some people, maybe you don't have the luxury. So if you, there's healthier alarm clocks that you can get, ones that start to light up, as the sun starts to rise, those are great investments. I've seen and also, those. Yeah. yeah, I love those. They're great. That's fantastic investment. Like spend the hundred dollars or whatever it is to get a better alarm clock versus using your phone or one of those. Eh, eh, like that's just yeah. stress inducing, right? I remember in high school, I had one of those little box alarms that was like in you know, a little cheap ones that makes that really loud. Eh, eh. Yes, and oh, just I remember like, those. Just even like doing it's giving me a little anxiety, like wake up and have to like rush to the bus. And um, so, so yeah, so if you're going to use an alarm clock, get a, get a circadian alarm clock that starts to light up the room that maybe has some soft chimes or something to wake up. So then you're not waking up in a stressed state um, and give yourself enough time in the morning to also, you know, prepare for your day. So that you're not running out the door in a stressed state because then, then it just compounds all day and then it's harder at night to, sort of release it all. Yeah, that's great. I love my mornings and I purposely wake up a lot earlier just so that I, I'm i not in a rush. I can do things a little leisurely and um, that kind of sets up the day for a, a less stressful time because you're, you're not rushing. Um, rushing now- is not your friend. Rushing is, if you want to feel anxious, rush. That's just it. Like rushing, honestly, it's like... what. I, I, I can't say enough bad things about rushing. If you feel like you're in a rush most of the time, you need to reprioritize your life because you're not going to live as long as you could because rushing, I have like, it's just not fun being in a rush all the time. It's just, and you look around and a lot of people kind of are rushing around all the time. They're just like running from one thing to the next thing. And they're rushing here and the kids and rushing. And they're like, well, I, you know, I have a busy life and I'm like, okay, well I get that. And you know, what can you do to create the space so that you're not rushing? What needs to change in your life so that you can have some space so you're not rushing here and rushing there and, you know, rushing your life away? It's it's just not a healthy way of, of living. I've never heard, I've never met a person that was rushed and not stressed. <laughs> me neither. If you meet them, let me know. I'd love to talk to them because 
you know, that would be interesting conversation, but yeah, I, yeah, it's just, uh, and we live in a culture too, where it's like, it's kind of, it's acceptable to be in a rush. It's seen as normal. And if you're like not rushing around, it's like, oh, well, you're not, you're not important. You don't have anything going on. And right. You have nothing going for you. If you're yeah, not it's kind of, it's kind of sick, but in a lot of other countries, you know, you see these people in, you know, Mexico or Spain, they're not rushing around. They're like just living their life. They're taking siestas. They're taking two hour coffee breaks in the middle of the day. Yeah, they got it right. I mean, here in America, I get, I get it. You know, it's, we get things done and we're a powerful country and, you know, because we work hard and all that. We're also the sickest country, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, one of them, which makes perfect sense to me. For those that are, they they're literally like at their wits end. They've tried everything. They're on the verge of sleep medication or perhaps are currently on meds and, and want to get off them. What advice can you give to that person that they're they're on meds or thinking about it because they tried everything? Go to sleepscienceacademy.com and schedule a consultation. Sleep Science Academy. Yeah. That's that's exactly who we work with. Um it's it really, you know, trying to figure it out on your your own is is not is you're going to continue to try things that don't work. And medication is a Band-Aid. It's not the answer. I'm not anti-medication by any means. And I don't give people medical advice. Um, and it's a Band-Aid. And so if you don't want to take it and you're in a place where you feel like you really, you know, are having some serious issues, get the support. You know, it, we have a proven path, 97% success rate. Um, it's just, you know, you just do the work. Um, but you have to ask for help because if you try to do it on your own, it's just, you're going to continue to build on the belief that you're broken and that you've tried everything and nothing's worked. And that's a false belief. And we, at this point, have helped hundreds, almost to the point of thousands of people that literally believe that they've tried everything and nothing worked and that they're broken and they're never going to be able to sleep. And a lot of them are on like two, three, sometimes five medications. We'd have people that were on 10 medications and through going through our process and system, they were able to get off all the medication and restore their natural sleep cycles. Even after 30 years of not being able to sleep and being on all these different medications, people think it's a miracle. It's not, it's just, it's science and it's systems. And when you understand those two things and you follow the system and you, you know, you execute on the, the path, your sleep will restore itself. Great. Well, Devin, thank you so much again for coming on. Where can people find you? What's your social media? Pimp yourself out, all that good stuff. So, um, so you know, sleepscienceacademy.com for people that have you know sleep issues. And then on social media, you can find me at my name. It's Devin Burke, D-E-V-I-N-B-U-R-K-E wellness. And on Instagram and, and uh, on YouTube and all the social pl- uh, channels. I have a lot of actually YouTube videos. Like people just went and started listening to some of the YouTube videos. It would definitely help them a lot because go into much greater detail than we went in this conversation on some of those topics. But yeah, that's that's where you can find me. Awesome. Thanks so much, Devin. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Digest This. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review in your podcast app to let us know. If you're ever wondering how you can support me and this podcast, sharing it with your friends and family is the best way. This is a resonant media production produced by Drake Peterson and edited by Chris McCone. To email the show, 
message us at digestthispod at gmail.com. See you next time. The content of this show is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for individual medical and mental health advice and does not constitute a provider-patient relationship. As always, talk to your doctor or health team first. Looking to build a more robust foundation in your health and well-being? From the producer of Digest This comes one of the most popular alternative health shows on Apple Podcasts, The Dr. Tina Show. Dr. Tina Moore is a naturopathic physician and chiropractor, traditionally and alternatively trained in science and medicine. The show features exclusive interviews with experts such as Sean Stevenson, Mike Mutzel, Mark Groves, and even solo episodes covering metabolic health, pharmaceuticals, chronic diseases, long-hauler syndrome, and pain management. Dr. Tina delivers the information in a no-nonsense, real-world style, and she has the science to back it up. The Dr. Tina Show is edgy, entertaining, and informative. Every episode will leave you with a new pearl of health wisdom to expand your knowledge base. When you're empowered, you can do better for yourself, your family, and your community. Resilience is the name of the game, and Dr. Tina is here to guide you on your way. Listen to The Dr. Tina Show today on your favorite podcast app. New episodes every Wednesday. Produced by Drake Peterson and Resident Media.